with me. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 5. We continue on today in our study in the book of Colossians. And let me say uh, sincerely how much I miss you guys. Uh, seeing you, I don't see you as often as I used to. Uh, so I always look forward to coming over. I was in the Perdita Key campus this morning, and I, I usually go down there and hang out until the service starts before I leave. And uh, Pastor Josh was down there ready to go. And I want to say how much I appreciate him and Brother Nathan uh, leading. And uh, on the same, uh, on the flip side of that, I want you to know that Joe and I look forward to coming over here and seeing y'all. And it's not that we don't like them, it's just we like both of y'all, right? And uh, so thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, the Lord has really been doing some neat things in our, uh, in our midst, and I praise Him and thank Him for it. One of the things I appreciate about our church, and I, I think you're going to understand what I'm saying, and I want to say this in the right way. Uh, I told someone this week, you know, we have to be really, really careful uh, to, to come across like, oh, you know, we're doing it right. You know, we're doing it right, and everybody else is wrong. And and what I'm fixing to say, I don't mean it that way in any way, shape, form, or fashion. But what I do want to say is I'm thankful that I, at our church, we have made a strong commitment to be a Bible church. A Bible church. And someone, someone, a young person came to our church the other day and we were standing out in the lobby and we were chit-chatting. And they said, you know, I've been going to a church, but I'm tired of hearing TED Talks. I'm tired of hearing, you know, some good Christian psychology. I want to hear the Bible. And they said, well, you know, when we came here the Bible is preached, and, and that's so important. I believe that we stay faithful to the Bible. So let's get into it. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. If you're a guest today, we're going verse by verse through Colossians. Uh, we're, we've entitled this series, It's All About Jesus. And if you're studying through Colossians, uh, you really see that the first couple of chapters are really uh, heavy doctrine, okay? It's heavy doctrine about the deity of Christ and who Christ is when you come to chapter 3, last week we were in verses 1 through 4 about living for the things that are eternal. And, and it's kind of a, those four verses are kind of a transition, if you will, into verse 5. We're now on uh, to the end of the book. We're really going to get practical. Uh, Paul's going to get really direct about our life, about the Christian walk, about how we're supposed to live and how we're not supposed to live. And so we're going to do a two-part uh, sermon. Uh, today I'm going to do verses 5 through 11, and then we'll come back with a second part uh, in verses 12 through 17 that we have entitled, Out with the Old and In with the New. Out with the Old and In with the New. Look at it with me, chapter 3 and verse number 5 of Colossians. Hear the word of the Lord. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander obscene talk from your mouth do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self you see it there nine and ten out with the old in with the new which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator 
Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Can we pray again? God, thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cleanse my hands and purify my heart. I pray that as I deliver uh, these verses, I pray that I will do it clearly, that there would be understanding, that there would be uh, conviction, that there would be clarity about what it means to be new in Christ. That when we come to Christ, that there's a change that takes place. We live differently. We seek to love one another. We seek to behave differently. We, we want to live every day knowing that we are representatives of Christ. And so teach us about what it means to be new in Christ. Out with the old and in with the new. If there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, may they truly experience the change that comes in Christ. May they be saved today. For any Christian today that is living in willful, known, open sin, I pray that we would repent of that and change our ways and say, yes, my life is not lining up with Scripture, so I want it to. Make us all different. Draw us all closer to you as a result of being here today. We pray in Christ's name. God's people said, amen. I tried to go back and look up the origin of that statement, out with the old and in with the new. Where did it come from? And that was a colossal failure, by the way. Uh, we're not really sure where it came from. As I was sitting there pondering that, I was thinking we probably didn't fully understand that thought until the second round of cell phones came out, right? How many of you remember the bag phone? Anybody ever have a bag phone? Uh, my dad, when he was a kid, had one. You had to, It looked like really uh, one of these old-fashioned Bible covers. You know, it was black, and uh, you had to unzip it and open it up, and you had to flip the antenna up, and then the phone had a long cord on it. Uh, anybody in the room ever have an uh, antenna in the back window of your car for your cell phone? Uh, okay, a couple of you. I remember as a kid, I thought, man, if we could just have one of those, we would be cool. I mean, we would have arrived. I remember some of my friends went and bought an antenna and just put it in their car. They didn't have a phone, but they wanted to look cool, right? Uh, like they had a cell phone in their car. How many of you know just about the time that you get the newest version of a cell phone? Are your, let's talk about our kids. How about that? When our kids, they have their cell phone, and that cell phone works fine, right? Until the new one comes out. And when it comes out around the house, all we hear in so many words is out with the old, and we got to have the new, right? Uh, last night, I, as all good Christians do, I, I checked Instagram. That was supposed to be funny. Uh, I looked on Instagram. I kid you not, this is the truth if I've ever told it. I clicked on Instagram, and the very first post that I saw was a young man in our church in Perdido Key that uh, has just graduated from chiropractic school, and he's opening up his new business, brand new business, and so he's remodeling this place and getting ready for it, Vladimir Zurich, and I looked down, and guess what the first line on his Instagram post was? Out with the old 
and in with the new. He's getting ready uh, to start his new business. Well, as you think about that statement, I think that is clearly, verse 9 and 10 shows us, that's what Paul is writing about here. There's, there's something that happens in your life when you become a Christian. There's a change that takes place. It's, it's out with the old way of living, out with the old lifestyle, and now you live in a new way and in a new direction. We'll get more to the new side of it uh, in the next sermon. But for a few minutes, we're going to focus on verses 5 uh, through 11. And I want you to see, first of all, verse number 5, that Paul very clearly says, out with the old, we are to put to death the old lifestyle. We're to put to death the old lifestyle. Now, when we're saved, when we're born again, I want you to know you are immediately secure in Christ. Isn't that good to know? That when you're saved, man, y'all sound real excited. I said, when you get saved, you are immediately secure in Christ. That never again the rest of your life do you have to worry about being lost or not born again. You don't get unborn again. When you get born again, you're born again. And it says that, that Jesus holds us in his hand and we are forever eternally secure but just because you're eternally secure does not mean that you have a license to go live any way you want to live i I spoke with someone this week who has very little exposure to evangelical churches as a matter of fact this person is attending a messianic synagogue and they're going there every week and they're being taught the bible which of course, is a mixture of Christianity and Judaism. And uh, the, the, the man and I had a great lunch together. And he said to me, I'm not a Jew and I'm not a Christian. I'm not anything. I'm just really observing this and, and, and trying to figure it all out. But he said something to me that was interesting. He said, you know, I have very limited exposure to the evangelical church. Uh, he said, if I add it up right, that he might have been about 10 or 12 times to an evangelical church like ours. And he said, this is something that I have observed with people that I know that go there. He said, it seems to me that y'all are very emotionally driven. You're emotionally driven. And that what you seek is you seek to get people to make an emotional decision. This is so fascinating to me that he would say this. That what you want in a setting like this is you want someone to pray a prayer and say, yes, I'm accepting Christ. But then people walk away in droves and it never changes anything about the way that they live i don't know have you observed that i mean people say yep you know i i meant hey when i was seven when i was 12 when i was 14 i prayed the prayer got baptized i've even got a certificate to show it but there's nothing really different about the way that i live i thought that was an interesting observation and i just said to him you know i would i would agree with you that true bible salvation means that there's going to be a change in our behavior now in verse number five notice that word therefore and i don't know how often uh, josh points out the the therefore when we see a therefore we need to know what the therefore is therefore i say that in perdido key a lot but verse five points back to what it goes backwards it goes back to the resurrected life the change that comes by jesus listen when you become a christian there is a new trajectory of your life 
where you now live for the things that are eternal. You seek the things that are above. You set your mind on things that are above. But here's what happens. It's happened to me and it happens to you. The allurement of this world will lead us to relapse into sin. And those sins that we have been forgiven of, sins that we know are wrong, (laughs) sins that at one time we would say they're under the blood. Hey, can we just stop a minute and thank God for forgiveness, right? In the past, they're under the blood. Why is it that we relapse and we go right back and we do the things that we know offend a holy and a righteous God? So what does Paul say? Look in your Bible, verse number 5. How are we supposed to handle those things? Paul says you need to put them to death. You need to make them dead. You need to slaughter them. You need to kill them. Listen, Christian, he does not say that you need to just try to suppress them or just merely manage your evil acts and attitudes. He says, no, right now, in this moment, we need to wipe them out and we need to completely exterminate the old way of living. Now, some might get confused with verse number 3, where Paul said last week, you have died. Uh, You might get a little confused with that, saying that if I have already died in Christ, then why would I need to turn around and put something to death? I think that's a good question. Verse 3 is a spiritual reality, okay? The spiritual reality is that you have died. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the spiritual reality of a Christian. But watch, in the day-to-day shoe leather of our faith, our position in Christ, every person in this room until the day you die, we are are a work in progress. How many of you remember when you got saved? I hope you do. If you don't, I pray that you will be saved. But when you got saved, you didn't understand and know everything. How many of you remember that? I mean, you get you become a Christian, you don't know everything that's right and wrong. You don't know everything that you're supposed to do. You don't know everything that you're not supposed to do. And so... Paul is just reminding them here that what we, what we must do is when we die with Christ, we must focus on our daily walk with Christ in this world. He clarifies it a little more, Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Look on the screen. Paul says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Look at this, verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Now, the good news today is this. The curse of sin and the power of sin over us has been broken. That's salvation, right? 
That's what it means to be born again. The penalty of sin and the power of sin has been lifted off of my life. But watch, that does not mean that I don't willfully walk away from God's commands and do my own thing. How many of you know you've got a flesh? you got a flesh. And you got to battle it every day, right? you got to battle it. That's why it's important to keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts. What does that mean? That means confess your sin every day. Repent of your sin every day. Forsake your sin every day. Listen, gang, we should not make excuses and say, well, you know, I'm just a sinner like everyone else. No. We should say, you know what? I'm an overcomer in Christ. I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and I have the ability, with God's help, with Jesus in me, and the Holy Spirit living through me, I have the ability to make daily choices that affect and produce effectiveness and fruit in my life. That's why I have to work on not feeding my flesh. Paul said, don't walk in your flesh, but walk in the Spirit. Verse number 5, what does Paul say about our flesh? We need to do what? Say it with me. We need to put it to death. Put it to death, right? Adam Clark, look on the screen, says, To gratify any sensual appetite is to give it the very food and nourishment by which it lives, thrives, and is active. What does that come down to? It comes down to your choices. God sent you here today, and God's already spoken to my heart this week. He sent me here today to say to you, don't feed your flesh. Don't feed your flesh. Don't give place to the devil. Fight against sin. Because remember, verse 6 shows us what the end result will be for those who do not fight against sin, those who do not know Christ. What does it say says the wrath of God is going to be poured out on sin. Now look in your Bible real quick, verse 5. What sins, what sins does Paul specifically address? Well, there are five or six places in Paul's writing where he makes a list of sins. When you think of a list of sins in the Bible, where does your mind go? Mine goes to Proverbs chapter 6, which says, These six things does God hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. There's a list of, y'all know what I'm talking about? Proverbs chapter 6. When you're reading through Paul's writings, he'll make a list of sins, man. He just throws it out there. And in every single list that he makes, in either first or second place, are the sins related to sexuality. Look in your Bible there. The first one listed is what? Sexual immorality. We're not going to look at each one of these individually because they're all in a broader category. The word for sexual immorality is pornea, and it's the word from which we get pornography. So it's a, it's a broad word. It's a broad word that includes any type of sexual sin. I think you would have your head in the sand if you don't know that we live in a pornographic society. It would be easy, I think, for a young person or for someone who's not grounded in Christ, who maybe has never really been saved, is deceived and thinks that they are when they're really not. 
it would be very easy to look around in this pornographic society, again for a young person, and to think, you know what, they're having fun. Or they're living the way they want to live. We say things like, man, they, they look so happy. You know, they look so content, and they look so happy. And, and we think, you know, they're doing their own thing. They're living the way they want to live. And, you know, God hasn't zapped them with a lightning bolt. So it'd be easy to think maybe that God's overlooking it. Or maybe you think, man, look what I'm missing out on. Let me ask you something. Will, will God overlook sin? Will God choose to not act? Answer the question from the Bible, will he? Because the Bible says in this text, because of man's willful rejection of God, snubbing your nose at God and saying, I'm not doing it your way, I'm doing it my way. Because of man's rejection of God's law, God will not wink. He will not smile. Listen, I didn't, I didn't get up and sprinkle gunpowder on my oatmeal this morning, all right? I'm not angry about this, but, but I have a text that says it very, very clear. There is coming a day when God is going to pour His wrath out against sin. I'm teaching a systematic theology class at, at uh, Perdido Key on Wednesday night, and it's, it's really quite fun, to be honest. We have a great time just discussing various issues, and we got off on this issue the other day, and we were talking about the wrath of God, because quite frankly, it's so much easier, and it feels so much more positive and uplifting to just stay focused on the love of God, you know, to say, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, but, but here's the reality. God, I believe, is outside of time and space, okay? So I believe that God does two things simultaneously. How many of you ever heard the statement, well, God, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin? How many of you have heard that before? All right, well, let me, let me let you know that's not in the Bible. And that's only partially true, okay? Hang with me for just a minute. That's only partially true. Because we, we love John 3.16, that God loves the world. He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him has everlasting life. But we, we get nervous at 17 and we get heartburn at 36 <laughs> in John 3 because it says to the man, woman, boy, or girl who does not believe, who does not accept Christ, the wrath of God abides upon them. So I need to just real quickly say, I want you to know that the Bible actually says that God hates sinners. Say, so, Tim, I've never read that before, okay? Well, let me help you read it. Look on the screen. The first place we're going to look is in Psalm chapter 5 and verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Psalm 11 and verse 5. The Lord Test the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Now, I know you're here and you're going, man, this is depressing, right? Now, Tim, this is just, man, you're just, no, no hear me just a minute. 
If you're saved, you ought to be rejoicing right now. You ought to be rejoicing. And I'll tell you why. Because wrath does not exist for a Christian. It doesn't even exist. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. There is no wrath. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Remember a few minutes ago when we're in Christ, we're eternally secure, and God is not going to pour his wrath out on his children. God is going to pour his wrath out on those who reject him, those who do not believe. Man, we ought to just jump around and shout or do something right now that we don't have to experience that. Only those who reject him. God is going to pour his wrath out. But watch, verse number 7 says that those who he's going to pour his wrath out on, unfortunately, that some of his children think that it's okay to live that way. There are some categories of sexual immorality in the scriptures. One is fornication. That's any kind of sexual activity outside the confines of marriage. It's called fornication in the Bible. It's sin. It's wrong. And God does not smile on fornication. There's the sin of adultery. And that is any type of a sexual activity that breaks the marriage covenant. When you make a covenant, a man and a woman together, and you have any type of activity outside of that covenant, God says that is adultery. There is the sin of homosexuality, which is sexual activity either between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. The Bible is very clear that marriage is reserved for a man and a woman. A man will leave his father and mother and he will cling to his wife. We live in a, in a uh, incestuous, such an incestuous pornographic society where we, we, we create all of these subcategories and, and we, we justify our behavior and our actions when God says, when you become a Christian, your desire is to put that stuff to death. Not, a, not to pet it and pamper it. Not to say it's okay. Not to come up with all the excuses and, and, and why what, the way you're living Paul says, you used to live this way. You know what? It's one thing to not know. Remember when I said, when you get saved, you're learning, and there's some things you know and some things you don't know. It's one thing not to know. It's another thing for people that know better. And to willfully do their own thing. Verse number 10 says, you didn't have the knowledge, but now you've got the knowledge and to whom much is given, much will be required. How many of you believe there ought to be a difference in the way you live if you have salvation in Christ? That was a lame amen. There's, when, you, when you become a Christian, there ought to be some things that you stop doing. There ought to be some things that you start doing. <laughs> there ought to be some places that you don't go anymore. There ought to be some places that you start going, right? Why? Because you are a new creation in Christ. Put to death. Put to death. Slay your works of your flesh. Let me move quickly to verses 8 and 9. Not only do we put away the old self, but verses 8 and 9, this is so good. This is actually my favorite part of the sermon. Put away old attitudes. Put away old attitudes. I love the first two words of verse number 8. But now, does that not indicate a change? Come on, get with me or I'm going to preach another hour. 
Does that not indicate a change? Whoa, whoa, but now, but now something's different. You're a, you're a new create. There's going to be something different about the way you live, the way you talk, the way you treat other people. Someone said that your attitude determines your altitude. Now, that's not a Bible verse, but I believe there's a biblical principle there that as you grow in Christ, there is a change in your attitude. As we grow, our spirit or our disposition will change. We grow in the way we treat other people. Warren Wiersbe says that verses 8 and 9 are sins that come as a result of a bad attitude. A bad attitude. What are those sins? Look at it. He says, put away anger and wrath and malice. You know, there's some people, unfortunately, that struggle with their response. <laughs> they don't know how to handle a crisis. I was reading a book, uh, uh, been reading it, I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. Anybody in here like me, I'm the king of reading two-thirds of a book, okay? Never get to the end. I see those hands, I see those hands. So I'm reading through this book, and Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person, he talks about how that an emotionally healthy person develops responsibility, and here's the way he breaks it down. He says, responsibility is really two words. It's response and then ability. In other words, you have the, you grow and you mature in such a way that you have the ability to respond correctly. There's some people that life is coming at them so fast. And look, it happens to all of us. We get, we get so overwhelmed at times that we get to a point where we are not response-able. <laughs> or we don't have response-ability. With God's help, Christians, with God's help, there's one thing we can do. We can control ourselves. We can control our temper. Look at me. Don't, don't say, well, you know, Pastor, God just made me that way. God just made me that way. I mean, I explode like a volcano, a volcano because God gave me this temperament and he just, no, 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 don't blame God with your sin. Amen, Pastor. Don't blame God with your sin. God did not make you an angry volcano. God did not make you a, if you believe that, then you believe that God created sin. God did not create sin. God did not make you a malicious person. God did not make you an unforgiving person person Stephen Covey says it's not what others do or even our own mistakes that hurt us the most it's our response to those things so watch you become a Christian that doesn't mean that you instantly become Mr. Rogers okay that doesn't mean that you instantly have mastered everything no you're growing over time God's at work in your life as a Christian, you should get better and better at controlling your temper. He did not make you that way. He didn't make me that way. What we're doing is we're following our flesh. And when you allow your flesh to explode and become uh, angry and filled with wrath and such a malicious person, you will do things 
that you'll be embarrassed about later. Alexander the Great. How many of you heard that name? If there's a person in history that probably deserved, uh, probably deserved that title because of his accomplishments, it was Alexander the Great. He was a, history tells us he was a gifted person. He was energetic. He was a great leader. He knew how to handle people. By and large, he was, an, he was a skilled, even-kill kind of a guy. But there was one time when his best friend, who was actually one of the generals in his army, one day he got intoxicated. And so he's in front of Alexander the Great, and he begins to just pick on Alexander and throw off on him and talk about his weaknesses and his failures and and uh, you know all the things that he didn't like about it. And instead of Alexander treating him as a friend and understanding the moment, Alexander lost his cool. And he reached over and he grabbed a spear. And he said later, thinking that he was just going to hurl it toward his friend to scare him or you know, kind of wake him up, get his attention, let him know he could hear him. He actually struck his friend and he killed him in a moment of anger. Someone that had been his friend since childhood. You know what happened for Alexander? He went into discouragement and depression and deep guilt over what he had done. He could not believe what he had done to his childhood friends, so much so that he took that spear and he tried to take his own life. Now here's a man who had conquered cities. He had conquered many countries, but he failed miserably to control his own spirit. How many of you know that God wants His children to control their spirit? Because there will be collateral damage. There will be people driven away. There will be people that you work with on the job that watch you explode and throw things or be malicious and retaliatory about things and then in your good moments you want to tell them about Jesus and how wonderful he is we always need to be mindful the the next three things that he mentions there have to do with our tongue oh boy this needs to be a sermon by itself doesn't it how many of you know that your tongue can generate encouragement Your tongue can generate blessings. And that same tongue can create a fire that nobody can put out, right? How many of you can testify, want to stand and give us a word of testimony right now about how your tongue in the past maybe has created some chaos? Maybe we won't do that. James chapter 3, verse number 6, The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Paul says in verse number 8, we use our tongue to slander. We use it for obscene talk that comes from our mouth. How many of you know or you believe that when you become a Christian, your vocabulary ought to change? Crude, off-color speech should not be a part of the Christian's communication. Years ago, I, I officiated high school basketball, and I was officiating a high school basketball game. 
And uh, for you basketball lovers, I was standing there. It was it was time for the tip off, and the ball was being tipped at center court. And so I was standing there. The ball went up. It got tipped, and the team recovered the ball. They made one pass. And the boy made a late. That's how the game started. Five seconds into the game, we already had a bucket, right? Well, the coach standing right across the court from me started yelling, timeout, timeout. I mean, five seconds into the game. Timeout, timeout. And I'm telling you, over the next minute, which is what he got for the timeout, the most profane and vulgar and vile things were coming out of his mouth. He was cussing a blue streak. So I'm standing there at the timeout, and I'm listening to everything he's saying, and the timeout gets over with, his boys break up, and I walk over there, and I said, now, Coach, I heard every word you said, and you know in the coach's code of conduct for Florida High School Athletic Association, you can't talk that way, and the next time I hear you curse like that, you're going to get a technical, and if you do it again, I'm throwing you out. Okay, 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 okay. Well, the game went on a few minutes later, and, and uh, one of my partners circled over in front of him, and he walked up and was asking him, he said, my partner told him, he said, hey, He's a pastor, man. You better watch the way you talk. So a little while later, it rotated around, and I got back over to that side, and that coach was standing there. He said, hey, Mr. Pastor, come here, come here, come here. So I walked over to him. He said, now, hey, now, Mr. Rev, he said, I, I don't want you walking out here tonight thinking I'm not a Christian. I, I don't want you walking out here tonight thinking I'm not a religious man. That's what he said. I said, well, you know the rules, and if you are a Christian, you know you shouldn't be talking that way. You're right, you're right, you're right. I mean, how many of you agree a Christian ought to guard the way they talk? We ought to guard the why? Because we represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Ephesians 4.29, look up. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to the hearer. Verse number nine. How about this? How about we tell the truth? Tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Does it make any sense to you that we say we are the seekers of the truth if we should not want to speak the truth? Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Christians should tell the truth. Let me finish up in verses nine through eleven. He says, finally, when you're thinking about out with the old and in with the new, remember that you are a Christian. You're a Christian. You've put off the old self with its practices. You've put, off, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. How many of you learned 2 Corinthians 5.17 growing up? Therefore, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old things have passed away. The, behold, all things have become new. Today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and next month and next year, Tim Coleman has to get up in the morning and remind himself, I am a Christian. I belong to Christ. Therefore, it's going to affect the way I live today. I love verse number 11 and I'm done. It doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white. We sang it just a minute ago. It doesn't matter if you were born in the South or you were born in Asia. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or you're poor, whether you're religious or you're non-religious. A Christian has a new 
resurrected life in Christ. Watchman Nee said, Our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. That's the new us. How many of you have been enjoying the weather the last few days? Can I get a witness right there? What a blessing to walk outside on the front porch with my cup of coffee and not sweat. Feels so good. I tell you what I really like. I really like at night when the moon's out and the stars are out and it's a little cool, just being outside. and Man, that's, that's wonderful. I want you to think for just a minute that the moon shines in the night sky. Why does it shine? It shines because it's a reflection from the sun. Without that reflected light, the moon would just be out there in darkness, never seen, never noticed. It would just be lost in the darkness of space. Friends, that's an illustration of the believer in Jesus Christ. We only shine forth the work of His grace because of the reflection of Christ's light in our lives. And without that reflected light, we become lost in the darkness of sin and deprivation in this world. And here's my prayer for my life and your life as I close. I pray that none of us who name the name of Christ will willfully and openly live in sin. But step two with that. I pray that we will never just blend in. Just blend in and go along. Because Paul says, if you are in Christ, you must put to death the works of your flesh. Why? Because you are an ambassador of Christ. And you reflect Christ in your life every day. Amen? Let's pray together.